you could turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6 as we continue our study through the book of Judges. In our text that I have there, we, I have written down that we'll go to verse 32. We're not going to quite make it that far this morning. We're going to make it to uh, verse 25 this morning in our preaching. And I'd actually like to start in verse 10, uh, just because there's a little bit of context that will be drawn out from verse 10 in our sermon this morning. <clears throat> Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through 24, verse, verse 10. This is a prophet of the Lord speaking. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not, do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midians as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and, un- and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he, was in the, that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. The sends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us. Let us call upon him and ask him to bless us as we hear his word preached today. Our Father in heaven, we do come to you and ask that you open our eyes 
that you soften our hearts, that you open our ears to hear this word, that it may take fruit in our lives and bear fruit in our lives. Acting faith upon our Lord Jesus, producing good works in us as we walk in obedience to our Lord. Lord, bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as the title declares to us or says to us in your bulletins, God's presence as strength. And that's what I'd like us to see this morning, that God's presence is our strength. But there is a question that comes from understanding that. that If God's presence is our strength, how do I know that the Lord is with me? If his presence brings strength to my life, how do I know he's actually with me as I go about my life? This is what the Lord is doing for Gideon in this passage, showing that he will be with him. The promise that we see declared to him in verse 11, the Lord is with you. And many people have sought this answer to this question in all kinds of ways. How do I know the Lord is with me? Well, one religion, Mormons, they try and declare this, that you have a burning in your bosom. You have the warm fuzzies, and that's how you know that God is with you. You feel it. It feels good. You feel happy. That's how you know the Lord is with you. Some people say that you need to have a very dramatic experience, this once-in-a-moment lifetime experience where your life is radically altered from one state to another. Now, certainly that can happen, but for some of us, maybe that hasn't happened. And does that mean that the Lord is not with us? Does that mean he's not present in our lives? How do you know that the Lord is with you? What assurance do you have that he is with you in your life as you go about your day? Well, Gideon at the end of this passage sets up an altar. It's a way and a memorial that was in Israel to know that the Lord is with him. Here's this stone altar in Ophrah that the Israelites could go to as a sign that showed them, yes, the Lord is indeed with us. And the Lord showed to Gideon, I am with you. So how do we know the Lord is with us? Well, I'd like to see two things from this passage. We'll take an in-depth look at this conversation between the angel of the Lord, and then after we look at this in-depth conversation, I would like us to see this briefly, this meal, and then what that means for you and I today. Our text begins this morning with a conversation. Now, we must understand where this conversation comes. It comes right on the heels of a prophet of the Lord coming and leveling judgment against the people of Israel. Verse 10 that we read, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. He is like a lawyer prosecuting them and saying, you're guilty. You have not obeyed God's voice. That's why all this is happening to you. But then the text begins that the angel of the Lord, and if you've been with us, the angel of the Lord showed up in chapter 2. There are other places in Scripture as well, in Genesis and Exodus, and along the path that the Israelites walked to the promised land, that the angel of the Lord continually shows up. This is a fascinating figure that we will understand better as we go along. But the text tells us something interesting as we begin. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth. It's a shortish tree, usually 10, 15 feet in height, not much larger than that. A shrubbery-looking tree, and he's sitting under it. 
Why is that a big deal? Why does the text tell us that the angel comes and sits under a tree? Well, if you were here a couple weeks ago and you heard the story about Deborah, she also was sitting under a tree. And what was she doing when she was sitting under that tree? She was exercising judgments. It says the text in chapter 4 tells us that people would come to her for judgments, that she would decide cases. In fact, she summons Barak for this very purpose, but she decides in his case a good thing. Trees in Scripture are often associated with a place of judgment. Many of us know the story of Adam and Eve when Adam and Eve are told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then a battle of sorts takes place where the battle of minds goes on. And Eve and Adam, specifically Adam, is supposed to render a judgment against Satan. He is supposed to tell Satan, no, we actually cannot eat this fruit. That is the judgment that he is to render against the serpent. And subsequently, he's to execute the full form of judgment, driving that serpent out and putting it to death. And that's what we expect to happen here. This prophet has just declared that the people of Israel are guilty. The angel of the Lord shows up. But what happens when he sits under this tree? What does he do? Listen to what the angel of the Lord says back in verse two, chapter 2, verse 2. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, and you shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? The words of the prophet were also the words of the angel of the Lord. We're expecting judgment. But what do we hear instead when he calls out to Gideon, who is beating out wheat in the wine presses to hide it from the Midianites. That's just a simple way to say, this isn't what you normally do to get wheat out of, out of the husk. This is something, this is an emergency measure to try and hide, to be hiding from these armies as you're trying to get some sustenance and then flee to the hills. What do we hear when the angel says to him? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. O mighty man of valor. Now for us who have been following along in Judges, this is a surprising thing. This is in fact the opposite of what we would expect to happen in this passage. It's not just surprising, it's shocking. The angel of the Lord, he should be sitting, standing here before Gideon, convicting him, saying, you have participated along with this. As we'll see next week, Gideon's father is the one who had built an altar to Baal, this foreign god, this false god. It's shocking because of what Gideon says next. Gideon himself is surprised, or he's not surprised, but we know that something shocking is happening here because of what Gideon says to this angel. Now we'll see Gideon's response, but we need to know something right here. We know who is talking to Gideon, but Gideon does not know who he is talking to. He thinks that this is likely a prophet like Deborah under a tree coming now to render judgments. And he thinks this is a little strange. This messenger, this potential prophet is declaring a word to me. We know who he's talking to. 
And we're given insight into this, into this conversation that happens. And the only way the rest of this conversation makes sense is if you realize and understand that Gideon has no clue who this individual is. He recognizes him as a lord, the common word for master or lord, Adonai, that's also oftentimes used for God, but it's the generic term for master. And he refers to him as lord. You'll see this with a capital L, but then all lowercase O-R-D. In your text, you might see capital L and then uh, the smaller capitals O-R-D. Those are a word that's being translated from this, the name of God, Yahweh himself. So there is a distinction that we need to see here in our text. So he recognized him as a, as a Lord, but not the Lord, the, the angel of the Lord. But then what happens is Gideon reveals his ignorance of who is talking to him. Gideon hears, the Lord is with you. Well, what would your response be if you're out beating out... Uh, if you're out beating um, wheat in a wine press, you're running and hiding from the enemies. You have all the evidence to the contrary. The Lord is clearly not with me. And that's exactly what Gideon says to this individual who is in his presence. Gideon is shocked. The Lord's not with me. The Lord's forsaken us. Does the Lord not know what's going on? Look at what I'm doing. Now, we know why this is happening, but Gideon shows his ignorance. Gideon shows his ignorance. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? Why has this happened? Well, you and I know, verse 10. This is why it's happened. You've disobeyed the voice of the Lord. But Gideon, this doesn't make sense to him. We know what happened. In verse 10. But Gideon also reveals even further ignorance. It's as if he's ignorant of everything that the Lord has done in Gideon and Barak. Remember a few weeks ago, this event that happens where the Lord miraculously delivers the armies of Israel and conquers the Canaanites, performing a wondrous deed just like what he had did in Egypt. When, they, when Israel fled from Egypt and drowning the chariots of Pharaoh, and the Lord does a similar act of salvation just a few miles north in northern Israel. Where are his wonders? Well, Gideon is ignorant. He doesn't understand. And he concludes, the Lord has forsaken us. He's abandoned us. We're left to ourselves, and now we're being destroyed by our enemies. It's the opposite reality. Gideon is what we know as your consummate pessimist always looking on the dark side of things. He is what we also refer to as Eeyore. Oh, woe is me. Everything is bad. And he can't see anything good in his life. This is just like us, right? We don't see anything good. When something bad happens, we look at everything in our life and see all the evil. And then we complain and we point out, where is the Lord? He's forsaken us. He's not doing anything good. Completely ignorant to all that God is doing. And we're like Gideon. We act like nothing is our fault. Why is this happening to us? Well, Gideon, your father has an altar of Baal and you're doing nothing about it. You're passively standing by as people are worshiping false gods. We blame 
everything else except ourselves for when evil happens. But how does the angel respond to this almost seemingly blasphemous statement from Gideon? The text tells us that the angel turns to him. Now, when I read that at first, I thought, what in the world does that mean that he turns to him? They're talking. They're having a conversation. Of course he's turned to him. Why is this important? Verse 14, and the Lord turned to him. Now, this word turned, whenever it is used of God himself turning towards humans, is used in a gracious manner. The angel turns towards him. It's a loaded word in Scripture. Here's just a couple samplings of how this word is used in, in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 13. But the Lord was gracious to them, and he had compassion on them, and he turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. Psalm 86 says this, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. The words that you and I hear Gideon saying, he should be wiped out. If he knew who he was talking to, the angel of the Lord, if he understood who he was talking to and saying these kinds of things, he should be wiped out. And that's what we would all expect. Judgment, boom, you're done. But what does the angel do for Gideon? He turns to him. He's gracious to him. He has mercy on him. And this is how we know that he has mercy on Gideon. He says to him, go, save Israel. I am the one who is sending you. He's going to now use Gideon in his plan. He's going to use Gideon in his purposes in this life of Israel. Instead of destroying him, now he is going to make him a servant to accomplish his purposes. God is being eminently gracious with Gideon, despite his ignorance, despite his sorrowful attitude, despite his failing to see all that is going on around him, how the Lord is working in his life. But how does Gideon respond to us? The same way you and I do when God says, I'm going to use you. When God calls us to do different things in this world with weakness. I can't go. I am the last guy you would send. You want me to go fight these armies? I mean, what the angel is telling him, you will go against the Midianites all by yourself. And he thinks, I am the last person you would send on this journey. I am the weakest man from the weakest clan. In high school, I played uh, water polo, and I was on a freshman water polo team. And that whole season, we didn't win one game. Now, I was uh, the late coming sub in the water polo team, and the very last game of the season, we played the best team of of the, in our whole league, our freshman water polo league. And I scored a goal that game. But the only goal that I scored in that game was on our own team. So I was now the worst player on the worst team. And this would be like my coach saying, Nate, go in, play against Poway, and beat them all by yourself. 
And I have all the evidence to the contrary to say, no, I am the last person you send. That is what Gideon is doing here. Lord, I am nobody. He evaluates how God works the way that we think God ought to work, the way that humans work. It's based on our own abilities, our own initiative. We think that's the way God works. Well, if I'm powerful, if I'm wise, I'm strong, those are the people that God's going to use. God has very different plans in mind. No, Gideon, I don't need your strength. In fact, the fact that you're the weakest person is all the better. You know what? I'll defeat the entire Canaanite army with you by yourself. It's precisely through weakness that God works most mightily. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. As the Lord Jesus told the Apostle Paul, who was suffering. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But now there's something new that happens after Gideon gives his complaint. The Lord now speaks directly. In our text, it is always the angel of the Lord who speaks. And now the Lord speaks to him in verse 16. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Gideon now realizes this is the Lord speaking to him. He still thinks it's likely a prophet. He still doesn't understand the full weight of this, but now he's starting to begin to understand. This is a similar conversation he's heard before in Scripture. Moses had a very similar conversation with the Lord. In fact, there are many phrases that Gideon is using that are used when God calls Moses to go deliver his people. So Gideon is starting to pick up on what's happening here. God's talking to me through his prophet, but God is talking to me. The text is building up to this moment. I will be with you. Not just the beginning, the Lord is with you, but now God is saying, I will be with you. Gideon still thinks this is a prophet like Deborah. Remember in the situation of Deborah and Barak, when Barak says to Deborah, I will not go to war if you do not go, but if you go with me, I will go. This prophet, this prophetess, going with Barak was the sign that God was going with him. So Gideon is acting in a similar manner. Gideon now recognizes that it is the Lord speaking to him through his prophet, but he's weak in faith. He doesn't fully believe yet. He needs some kind of sign, a confirmation. I need to, I want to know this. If this is really true, I need confirmation that you're actually going to do this. It shows how slow we humans are to believe God's word when he tells it to us. Has the Lord really told me? Is this really true? Do I really believe this? Do I really buy this? I need something to show me this. But what does God do? Does he smash Gideon? Does he stomp him down because of his slowness to believe? It's astounding the patience of the angel of the Lord in this passage with Gideon. Despite his ignorance, despite his anger or his frustration, despite his looking at everything that's wrong in the world, 
angel of the Lord is patient. He's kind with him. But we are so slow to believe. It's like overcoming a mountain in our hearts to believe what the Lord has told us. The Lord doesn't chide him for his brashness or his ignorance, but is gently showing his grace towards this man, opening Gideon's eyes to really see who the Lord is. So Gideon says, okay, here's how I know that you're favorable towards me. You'll eat a meal with me. Hospitality. This is our short, brief second point of the sermon. Gideon says, this is what we do in our culture to show that we're friends, that we're friends with each other, that you are actually favorable towards me. I clearly recognize that I'm just a lonely man, uh, the weakest man, and you are a Lord, a master of some kind, someone who is now speaking on behalf of the Lord. The way you can prove this to me, that you're favorable towards me, is to share a meal from me, to receive this present, this gift. So, This is what Gideon does. He goes into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. So he prepares a lavish meal, a whole goat for one man. That's a huge meal. You can feed a very large gathering of people with one goat. An ephah of flour is equivalent to about five gallons worth of flour. This is a significant amount of bread that he is making. He is preparing a huge feast for this individual. He's starting to begin to understand, I need to offer something that shows who I really am, that I really care about this person. Now, maybe Gideon's estimate of himself, the weakest person, if you have this much in this time period, if you have that much just lying around, a goat and five gallons of flour, you're not the poorest person. You've got to have a bunch of servants to help you make all this. And this is mimicking the situation of Abraham when the angel of the Lord And the other angels meet Abraham, and he prepares a meal. This is how I know you're favorable towards me. And Gideon expects this individual to eat the meal as a sign of showing his favor towards him. But what the angel of the Lord does next blows Gideon's categories, and it ought to blow all of our categories of what he does. The meat he put in a broth and in a pot, and he brought them to the angel of the Lord under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out with the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. In a single, solitary moment, Gideon suddenly realizes this is no prophet. This is an angel. This is an angel speaking on behalf of the Lord. This is, in fact, as Gideon says, I have stood face to face with the angel of the Lord and I did not die. Only those who could, this was a warning that God gave to Moses in Exodus 33, verse 20, when the Lord said to Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. But Gideon says, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord was gracious to him. And that's precisely what the text tells him. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. 
the Lord comforts him, you shall not die. And Gideon does the right thing, understanding what has just happened. The Lord has been gracious to him this whole time, preserved his life, spoken with him, and then revealed himself to him. So, we must return to the beginning question that we asked. How do you and I know that the Lord is with us? How do we know this? Well, there was a judgment tree, like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like this judgment tree where the judge would sit under and declare his judgments. We know that tree, that there was a judgment that was rendered 2,000 years ago on a cross that you and I can look to to know that the Lord is with us. That on the true angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, fell the judgment that Gideon deserved. Why has the Lord abandoned us? Gideon asks. Well, ultimately, the Lord hasn't abandoned his people. The Lord hasn't abandoned you. And the reason the angel of the Lord could dwell with Gideon wasn't because Gideon was so righteous, such a good person. The reason the Lord could dwell with Gideon is because the Lord is gracious. The angel of the Lord could show grace to Gideon because that angel would come and bear Gideon's sin, his disobedience away from Gideon so that he could stand in Gideon's presence and say, I can be gracious to you. That angel would bear the abandonment that Gideon and the people of Israel deserved. And that angel of the Lord who came as our Lord Jesus Christ, who climbed up or was nailed up on that judgment tree and cried out the words of Gideon, why have you forsaken me? The answer that the Lord didn't give to Gideon, but you and I all know, is that the Lord forsook Israel because of their sin, but only temporarily. Because the Lord would ultimately forsake his own son for our sin. We know that the Lord is with us because he is gracious to us. And he does not repay us according to our sins. So how do you know that the Lord is with you? How do you know he's with you today? Is it because of some experience you had? A burning in your bosom? Is it because somebody comes to you and performs a miracle before you? Says this is how you know the Lord is with you. Ultimately, no. All of those will fail. It is because on the cross, Jesus Christ took away your sins, the one thing that kept you from God, and Jesus gave himself to you for your sake so that you and I can hear the words that God spoke to Gideon. We can hear it said in its fullness, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So how do you know that the Lord is with you? You look to the cross. 
You look to the cross. It was there that the Lord was with you, and you were with the Lord, dying to your sin. And then three days later, you were with him when he rose again from the dead. See, the greatest irony of this whole passage is at the very beginning of verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. Gideon didn't understand the Lord was literally with him in that moment. The Lord is with you. Hello, I'm here. I'm right here in front of you. It wasn't just a blessing. It was right in the very place that we think the Lord would not show up. But there he does. And that is what the cross is. The one place that this whole world would think that is not where God is, is the one place that he is in his most magnified power, dying for you on a cross for your sins. How do you know the Lord is with you? Because you were with him when he died on that cross. And that is the strength that you need just like Gideon needed when he went to do what the Lord told him to do. To know that the Lord is at peace with us. He is at peace with us through Jesus Christ. And it's with that that you can go forward into this life with strength. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for Jesus Christ and that you are with us now through your Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Lord, comfort our hearts with this peace that you have made through Christ when he died upon the cross, that no longer are we your enemies, but we are your friends, those whom you sit down and dine with. We rejoice in you, our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.